Grassroots Community Network is now available to podcast. Enjoy all your favorite programming, whether you are making the commute to or from work, enjoying a jog through the mountains, or just hanging around the house. And don't forget that Grassroots offers over 4,000 shows on demand on our webpage, www.grassrootstv.org. Simply use the search tool in the upper right corner to locate your content. There are many ways to connect with your community. For podcasts, visit our homepage on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn, and Stitcher. All direct links, including a direct link to subscribe to our RSS feed, can be found under the search bar on our homepage. And remember, you are Grassroots Community Network. Please consider contributing by visiting our website at www.grassrootstv.org or by calling us at 970-925-8000. Thank you. Welcome to the Jerry Bovino Show. And now, here's Jerry. Jerry Bovino, welcome back with New York Times best-selling author, Joel Furman, Dr. Joel Furman, a physician who is going to teach us everything you always wanted to know about nutrition, but were afraid to ask. Joel, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jerry. Great to be here. Good. So you grew up in Yonkers, huh? Yeah. Well, so. what's that story all about? How'd you get from Yonkers to Aspen? Where did you go in between? Well, right now I live in New Jersey, in Flemings, New Jersey. Yeah, ask but, me why New Yorkers are chronically depressed. Why New Yorkers are chronically depressed? Because they found out the light at the end of the tunnel is New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but New Jersey is a beautiful state. It's just that we see that little, little spot there with York. all the storage tanks are. You know? Exactly. I live an hour from New York on the west. You know, so yeah, I mean, it's it beautiful. The Garden it's State, right? It's, it's a fabulous it's place. Beautiful. There's lakes, there's little hills. It's beautiful out there. And you became a, a maven on nutrition. It's been my specialty since I, since I started. I went to medical school with a specific purpose, purpose of being a nutritional researcher and physician specializing in nutrition. I went to University of Pennsylvania School of Medicine back in the early 1980s. And I've been, had a tremendously rewarding career, tremendously self-satisfying, enjoying using nutrition as the foundation of my medical practice. You know, the interesting thing to me, uh, having gone to medical school 10 or 15 years before you, I learned in medical school absolutely zip about nutrition. They don't teach you anything about it. No, they don't. And you know what? If they did, it still wouldn't help because you'd be learning old stuff that's not applicable today. But, you know, nutrition has made, nutritional science has made such incredible advances in the last 10 years to give us incredible power the tools to wipe out the chronic diseases that are afflicting Americans. It's really quite exciting if people really knew the data available today. You know, we're not making a radical claim here. I'm saying people don't have to have heart attacks anymore. It's a leading cause of death of all people over the age of 40. And you don't have to have a heart attack. You don't have to have a stroke if you don't want to. And we have so much information available today, we can literally win the war on cancer and wipe out, I would say, 90% of common cancers like breast, prostate, and colon cancers with nutritional excellence. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I've always, I'm always afraid of any kind of artificial stuff in my yeah. food. Not because I know it's bad, but I don't know it's good. We'll talk about that. I want to talk about especially like diet sodas later because yeah. it just creeps me out, all the stuff in there. <laughs> but so 
you, you sort of had this interest in nutrition when you went to medical school? That's right. I actually went to medical school with the desire to um, proceed with a career in, in using nutritional excellence as the foundation of my medical practice. So that's why I applied to medical school. That's why I went to an Ivy League medical school, so I'd have that support so I can pursue my interest to the, with the best but of my most ability. Most doctors really don't give a hoot about nutrition. You're, you're an outlier in that, uh, but you think that as far as the effects on our health, it's something that needs a lot more attention. Well, you know, lifestyle medicine has been growing by leaps and bounds. We have more doctors using lifestyle and diet as a center piece of their practice more than ever before. And it's where medicine should have gone. I don't call it alternative medicine or complementary medicine, or it really is progressive medicine. It's where we should have been going years ago because these diseases that afflict Americans, it's like you hit yourself with a hammer every day and smacked your hand in a bleeding mess, and then they went to a doctor to help you with your hand, and he gave you a pain medication to take away your pain, and the next day you took a hammer and whacked it again. It's just not going to get you well because we're committing suicide with our knives and forks. And the, the well, I like that. You know, the cause of heart disease and strokes and cancer is what we're eating, and we, don't, and we can eat in a manner to wipe that out if we so choose. And if people don't know the proper information, they don't have informed consent. They don't have a choice to get well because their doctors aren't even telling them. Like if you had high blood pressure, diabetes on cholesterol-lowering medications, and your doctor put you on drugs, and he didn't tell you that, you know, you could wipe out your diabetes and be non-diabetic. You don't have to be on blood pressure medications. You can get rid of your high blood pressure. You don't have to be on cholesterol-lowering drugs that cause cancer. You could be completely free of those diseases. If he didn't tell you that, you don't have proper informed consent. And sure, do whatever you want. If you want to live on American garbage food, go ahead. But at least you have the right to make a choice based on all the information that's properly presented to you. And that's my biggest you know, gripe with we, what's going on We today. do. We're going to talk about all this in yeah. much more detail. But I, my, I joke with my kids that my mother was very conscious about nutrition growing up. You know, when I was a kid, and, uh, she, uh, she, she had, I joked that she had the four food groups always in her mind. In our family, that was Hostess Cupcakes, Twinkies, Ding Dongs, and Ring Dings. And sometimes the snowballs, you know, with that yeah, right. pink that stuff, that yeah. chemical on top, uh -huh. that was like some kind of gel that probably decomposes every 10,000 years with the little coconut flakes. And I grew up on that stuff. Yeah. And people in those days back, they didn't know about proper nutrition. That's right. And you're still alive, actually. It's amazing. <laughs> you're still alive. Is this really you? <laughs> the funniest thing is all I eat is salad. There's a guy in town who saw me two years ago. Yeah. And he said to me, Jerry, he said, you got fat. Well, I didn't really look that much different than before, but I started just eating salad, you know, until right. I was starving myself. And I lost all this weight. And someone came to me and said, he tells everybody that. <laughs> you tell everybody to eat salad? No, he does. The, oh, the, the other no, guy. All right. The other guy. He just oh. goes around telling everybody they look fat. Oh, they look fat. I so see, I, yeah. what did I know? All right, so here's what we're going to do. Let's okay. take, take a short break to recognize the underwriters who very generously support us here at Grassroots Television. U.S. Trust, the premium name in private wealth management. Bovino Law Firm, David Bovino and uh, Lauren Roberts. Uh, Bishop Plumbing, Heating and Air Conditioning. And Silver Peak Apothecary. Get high, but responsibly, we're going to teach you not what not to eat when you get the munchies after you get high. It's legal in Colorado, you know. We're going to take a short break, and we're coming right back. And then Dr. Furman is going to be generous enough to tell us how you can change your life, your health, and everything associated with it through better eating. We're coming right back.
Support for this grassroots community television program comes from U.S. Trust. From wealth structuring to investment management, U.S. Trust's global perspective, unique team approach, fiduciary platform, and more than 200 years of experience provide for the kind of insights, solutions, and expertise that have a worth all their own. Bovino Law Firm, a boutique law firm specializing in complex litigation, real estate, leasing, and sales. Corporate organization, trust, and estates. Admitted in Colorado, California, and New York, David Bovino and Summer Woodson at 970-925-4445 or www.bovinolaw.com. Bishop Plumbing and Air Conditioning, serving Aspen and Vail for over 40 years. Shoe covers, name tags, IDs. Let Bishop worry about your heating, plumbing, and air conditioning issues so that you don't have to. Bishop Plumbing and Air Conditioning, 925-8610. Silver Peak Apothecary is the first cannabis retail store in the city of Aspen, offering a fine selection of bud, flower, and infused cannabis products, as well as accoutrements from glassware, oils, soaps, along with books, t-shirts, and educational material. Silver Peak Apothecary is located at 520 East Cooper Avenue in downtown Aspen and is open daily from 1 p.m. to 7 p.m. For more information, visit us on the web at www.silverpeakapothecary.com or call 970-925-4372. Jerry Bovino, we're back with Dr. Joel Furman, the best-selling author of his newest book, which is entitled... The End of Heart Disease. The End of Heart Disease, I like it. And uh, Dr. Furman will be uh, speaking 7.30 Saturday evening. This Saturday, what's the date this Saturday? Let's see, what's today? I think today? it's the 2nd, April 2nd. Uh, April 2nd at the Pepke. You can get tickets at uh, nutritionalresearch.org. That's nutritionalresearch, one word, dot org. So let's just talk a little bit, Joel, about the fact that the preponderance of disease in America, in my opinion, is lifestyle-based. We have drugs, alcohol, lack of exercise, and poor nutrition. Okay, address that phenomenon. Exactly. Because you left out smoking, of course. Smoking, yeah. okay. But, but Bad that's right. habits, right. Exactly. Alcohol, right. Because the leading causes of death in America are high blood pressure, I mean, are strokes, heart attacks, and the three major cancers, the major cause of death in America. And these three are, major cancers are breast, bre lung, and, and prostate. Okay. And these are avoidable diseases that didn't occur in human history. Primitive ma man, and we look in the Egyptian mummies, we analyze them, didn't have breast cancer, didn't have heart attacks. There's population on the world today, let me just say this, population on the world today, primitive islands like the like Katava study off Papua New Guinea, 23,000 people, their ancestries, their population, no heart attacks, no diabetes, no overweight people, no strokes, no dementia. These are diseases of nutritional ignorance. We have enough information today where nobody has to have these diseases anymore. They're just the results of nutritional craziness When you in say they're nutritional ignorance, yeah. what is it in modern foods that's bad for us? Well, 
There's a couple of basic principles here. Number one, the American diet is 54% of calories in processed foods, like pasta, bread, salad oil, mayonnaise, donuts, cookies, crackers, rice cakes, breakfast bars, candies, chips, and, and breakfast sounds, cereals. Sounds now, like my breakfast, lunch, and dinner. That's 54%. Now, when you process foods into, the, into those forms, the processed carbohydrates, you remove the micronutrients, the vitamins, minerals, phytochemicals, antioxidants, Des fibers. Des no. Define and describe and explain process. What happens? What do the food companies do to that food yeah. that's not good for us? Right. So the, the basis here is that food naturally contains a cornucopia of nutrients that are called micronutrients that don't contain calories. And they're not just 36 vitamins and minerals. We're talking about that every strawberry that we're finding out has 700 different nutrients in it. Every piece of broccoli has 1,000 different nutrients. Now, we take this food, this natural food, and we remove the bran and we cook it at high heat. So we, we, we grind it down so it's much more finely, a finely um, particle, so it absorbs the bloodstream very rapidly. And we remove the bran, which would have slowed its absorption, and we remove a lot of the nutrients. And then when we heat it, we don't just take away those nutrients, but we also form dangerous compounds that cause disease. Some of these compounds are called acrylamides. Others are called advanced glycation end products. They actually cause the body to age faster. It's the cooking process itself? It's the combination of the food processing and the heating and the dry heating, both. And it's the combination, especially when you eat commercial baked goods that are mixed with sugar and white flour. Give me an example of one of the Twinkie? I a mean cookie, you know, sponge cake, a donut, you know, um, bagels. Pizza, when you're eating white flour, but it's, we're talking about white flour you, you and sugar, know, sweetened baked goods, right? You know what I always joke about mm -hmm. a donut? At least mm -hmm. a donut mm -hmm. is what I call honest food. It mm -hmm. doesn't pretend to be good for you. Right. But people are eating them like crazy. You can't even get into a Dunkin' Donuts. Right, and if you want to snort cocaine, I guess you should have that right. But at least you should know that cocaine is putting your life at risk, and you should know that donut is putting your life at risk, too, before you just do it haphazardly, not knowing it could potentially kill you. I, and I it will totally kill you, get you know? it. Yeah. So how, mm. in your, you've written 10 books. 10 books, right. And you have, you've been a New York Times best-selling author. Five New York Times best-selling books, correct. How much would you say interest in lifestyle and nutrition is escalating right now as we have a more educated public. That's a terrific point because that's what's happening. I'm a founding father of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. And the, we started years ago when there were like 50 people at our conferences. You know, now we have thousands of people at our conferences. Doctors all over the world fly into our conferences. The point is, is that the nutritional care of disease is exploding in America right now. Doctors are, are finally learning this information, not through medical school, but they're learning it. No, they're not learning in medical school. And no. I would venture to say, and it's very unfair to this sort of uh, nascent specialty of nutritional medicine, right. that most, and we'll talk about the motivation behind this, most physicians aren't really interested in nutrition because it's, it's hard to make any money at it. Exactly true. You know, they, you have a personal love for it, and we, but doctors are, they're learning it. You know, I'm speaking at continuing medical education for doctors at hospital grand rounds, and I go to hospital, you know, medical conferences, and I educate doctors, and they come up to me, and they, you know, there's, they're fans, like, they thank me, they change the nature of their practice, they're getting more personal satisfaction in their careers, because what gives us so much personal satisfaction and reward is we see people get well. We see patients with advanced heart disease that are cardiac cripples have a full life again, well, this is one of the questions I have on my list. So let's walk back yeah. for a second. Okay. It's clear to most of us that if you eat a healthy diet, 
through your lifetime, I think most even mainstream physicians would agree that you're more likely to have uh, healthy outcomes. Would right. that be fair? Right. Yeah, but absolutely. what you just said is something different. That's Joel. right. I did. You said that even at later stages in your life, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years after you're born, if you can change your eating habits, that has a chance to reverse cell damage, biological damage, organ damage, but through nutrition. So explain that in detail. I could talk for hours about that, but yeah, I'll give you a little bit of that. Now, first of all, I just published a study in the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. It was published October 15, 2015, that the average person adopting a nutritarian diet who had high blood pressure, and there were 443 people with high blood pressure, the average person dropped their systolic blood pressure 26 points in the, during that period. Right, more than drugs, more than any other study in history. Uh, and, the, and that I showed cases of reversal of advanced heart disease where people were, had reduced ejection fraction, three heart attacks, had angioplasty and bypass surgery that re-occluded and had, was sent home to die on many medications. That the, and I saw to have people with, that the reduced ejection fractions actually improve over the years, the more years they followed the diet. And I showed cases of people that had advanced heart disease and high blood pressure years ago told they need urgent angioplasty that now without the angioplasty opened up the flow of heart, of flow of blood through, they, through their coronary arteries, didn't need blood pressure medications anymore, their cholesterol dropped in half, and now 10 years later, 20 years later, these people are still free of heart disease, and even in their 90s they're free of heart disease. The point I'm making is that, that nutritional excellence can do what medications and medical procedures cannot do. Because, you know, when you have an obstruction in your coronary arteries, you could balloon angioplasty it, but, that, but then you put a stent in, which forever increases your risk of having clot. Due to the, when the stent ends, you have to be on um, clot-busting or you have to be on blood-thinning drugs the rest of your life now, which can increase the risk of hemorrhagic stroke. If the person should have known, and it doesn't even, and the studies show, the COURAGE study, showed that people who have those angioplasties and stents don't have less heart attacks in their futures, and they don't live longer because That's of that. That's absolutely true. Right. That's absolutely true. Only the only ones that it really helps are the 2% who have had an MI in the past. Right. That it, and then they can, then they, but then the other 98%, it doesn't make them right. live longer or, or prevent heart or attacks. Or if a person is having an emergency at the moment and having a heart attack, then you want to open it up and put a stent in. Yes, that's obviously beneficial because you want to save the heart. But we're saying here that most of the lesions in the heart that cause heart attacks aren't the most ones that are shown up to be obstructive on a stress test or cardiac catheterization. Those are those hidden plaques called vulnerable plaque that don't obstruct and impinge on the, impinge on the lumen. They're fatty and they have a, a small calcified cap that can fracture and rupture and cause clots to propagate. So what I'm saying is that um, doctors can't even identify the vulnerable plaque that causes heart attacks. And the medications used, not only, so not only these procedures don't work, but the medications, like the high blood pressure medications and, and statin drugs, people aren't told how much they increase the risk of cancer. If, like, for example, a recent study followed women who were on calcium channel blockers for 10 years, and those are a blood pressure medication. And it showed that, that these women, after being on calcium channel blockers for 10 years, had double the risk of getting breast, breast cancer. And the National Cancer Institute just did a study on statins showing invasive breast cancers being promoted. Statins, but, you know, it's interesting because statins basically, statins have become good for what ails you. I know. It's everybody. I mean, it's like I, I have a total cholesterol of like 130 with like yeah. perfect lipids. And they say, oh, take a little Lipitor. It's like, you know what? I, and, I, and that's why I'm so, what's the word? 
on a mission. I'm so passionate about getting this information out because I feel if people had the informed consent to know the true risks of the dangers of the medications and if they knew the risks of those procedures they're getting recommended to do that don't help, then they would be so much more likely to choose nutrition as an avenue to get well. They wouldn't be so readily be popping pills and think that their well, pills are enabling them to eat anything they want. It doesn't work. Let's you know? analyze the informed consent. Informed consent, we can define it for yeah. our viewers, right. is basically the physician explaining to the patient the disease that they have and then the treatment options available. Correct. Correct. Most of the time, if someone comes in with coronary disease, in this example, which yeah. you've used, the doctor will tell them, about the different, you know, they can take drugs, they can have invasive surgery, can have a stent, right. they can have, et cetera, a bypass. Most of the times the doctor is not going to present nutrition as an alternative to those procedures. He might present it as an adjunct. That's correct. As synergistic, but not as an alternative. But exactly. you, what you're saying is that a truly, and this is a very important point, truly informed consent would involve telling a patient, if you follow this diet, that statistically you have as good a chance of survival and good health as if you went through these more invasive uh, procedures. I kind of agree with you, but that's not quite how I would articulate it. Okay, I think tell us how you're the, you're the expert. But that's kind of false because they're not even. Because medications, let's just take a person who has high blood pressure, high cholesterol. The, the optimal medical therapy only decreases the risk of having a heart attack or a stroke by 20%, about 20%. And that's based on optimal. What's optimal based on what study you look at, right? But optimal nutritional therapy reduces your risk of having a coronary artery or a heart attack or a stroke by about 99%. We're talking here 20% reduction risk. And where was the informed consent about the medications increasing the risk of cancer or about the statin drugs weakening your heart muscle after 10 years of use because they affect, they cause muscular de degeneration over time? In other words, I'm not, only, I'm not only saying this you get, they're not getting informed consent about the risks of medications. They're also not shown these proven approaches that work more effectively than medication to lower your blood pressure, to lower your cholesterol, and to even reverse atherosclerosis. And you know, the, you know that most Americans over the age of 60 are on medications for their blood pressure or cholesterol lowering without being told of the risks associated with those drugs and without being told that they could have better results had they adopted a better diet instead. So I'm saying I'm being a little more aggressive in my explanation than I you are. I understand. Yeah. And would you, how would the American Cardi College of Cardiology in this example, who are, you know, concerned about heart health, mm -hmm. and would they acknowledge the effect of nutrition to the extent that you're promoting it? Um, it depends on who you speak to. But right now, the president of the American College of Cardiology um, his first name is Kim. He's is a um, advocate of this way of living. He lives a nutritarian diet himself. This, okay, let's so do nutritarian because I don't know what yeah. nutritarian is. Right. It so, sounds good. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry, I forgot the name of the president of the American College of Cardiology. No. But he himself is 100% behind this, and so is the um, how should I say the um, the head of diabetes at the National National Institute of Health is 100% behind this and on this program. And through our Nutritional Research Foundation. We're now, on our mission of why I'm here in Aspen doing these lectures, is because we're now doing studies at leading research centers to further give doctors the armamentarium and the support they need to, to utilize these tools in their practices and having the research, more research done with diabetes, with different types of diseases, to show them how effective this can be in controlled trials. In, in, uh, in 
uh, terms that our average viewer can understand. Sure. And we have very sophisticated viewers here in Aspen. Yeah. What, what is a nutritarian diet? I haven't heard that term before. Well, a nutritarian diet essentially means nutrient-dense and plant-rich. Nutrient-dense, plant-rich. So it's based on a simple premise that the, your longevity and the quality of your health in your later years, your physical and mental prowess as you age, keeping your mental faculties and your physical faculties intact, is based on the micronutrient per calorie density of your diet. How much nutritional bang you get per caloric buck throughout your life. You eat foods that are higher in nutrients per calorie, you age slower. It arms. Give us some example. Like I would say without knowing anything, spinach has got to be in there, right? Yeah, so green vegetables like kale and Good. bok choy and, uh, are the top of the nutrient density. Um, and they're all high in antioxidants as well. Right, but is, that's a different thing, though. Or are those antioxidants the ones you want? Yes, those are high in antioxidants. And green vegetables in particular, especially the green cruciferous family, like broccoli and cabbage and bok choy and kale, are rich in a compound called isothiocyanides, or ITCs, that, that both prevent plaque from sticking to the walls of the blood vessels and activate the cells to fix DNA repair that can cause cancer. So they're actively protecting you against both heart disease and cancer if you eat a diet rich in green vegetables. So I have an acronym called G-BOMBS, which so it's G-B-O-M-B-S, stands for greens, beans, onions, mushrooms, berries, and seeds. And I explain that all the studies on each of these foods individually and how they wipe out, how they protect against cancer, how they protect your heart, and they enable you to live much longer and better. And so, in other words, yes, these foods are rich in nutrients, but they also have salient features that have extra beneficial effects outside of their, just their general nutrient content. For example, mushrooms contain aromatase inhibitors, like tamoxifen, that mm -hmm. prevent breast stimulation from estrogen. Mushrooms contain um, angiogenesis inhibitors that feed that, that they don't allow that. Angiogenesis means um, the growth of new blood vessels. And to have fat grow in your body, you have to have new blood vessels grow to feed that fat. And mushrooms say, no way, Jose. I'm not letting you grow fat on your body. Mushrooms. Mushrooms. They don't let you grow fat. They don't let, you have, they don't let tumors develop because tumors can't access a blood supply to grow into them to fuel their growth when you're the regular eater of mushrooms. Just, is it all the whole family of mushrooms? Yeah, I'm just using mushrooms as an example to show you the power of food here. For example, a study on mushrooms on people who ate 10 grams of mushrooms a day and 10 grams is the size of your thumb. The, these, this study showed a 64% lower risk of breast cancer from the regular use of mushrooms in the diet. 64% lowering. Yes. Well, you know, I always say I'm not a mushroom, but I'm a fungi. <laughs> <laughs> why so, the mushrooms leave the party? Yeah, why did they leave the party? I mean, I love mushrooms. And they basically there have no calories, right? There wasn't mushroom there. <laughs> oh, we're going to be great. The, but... There are not many calories in mushrooms, right? It's mostly like water and stuff. Yeah, there's hardly any calories in them. It's yeah. mostly like a nutrient. It's like a vitamin pill. Yeah. It's like a nutrient oh, talk pill. about vitamin pills. Okay, I wanted to get to that. So, I, You really want me to tell people this? I, okay. I, I want you to tell them what you know. You're okay. the expert. Okay. Um, you're an expert on nutrition. We have uh, hmm. uh, nutraceuticals are a big part of the American right. health scene. Right. And... Uh, there are some that I guess, like my, my own internist just told me you should be taking some vitamin D. He measured my vitamin D. I, I still have to go out and buy some. Right. Because I've never, like, been, unless there was a specific health reason, right. I've, I've never taken these multivitamins. But as the maven on nutrition, what do you tell your patients about vitamin treatment 
for specific diseases or for preventative? Or what do you know about vitamins? Everything. Okay, that's what we want to know. The main thing is, is that we have to study each individual component individually and look at all the studies on that individual component. Collectively, it's like mixing a hundred different variables, but the point is, number one, is that there are certain ingredients in conventional multivitamins that promote cancer. And, that, and the first thing a is... A conventional multivitamin would be like a centrum kind yeah, of Yeah, exactly. Thing, right? For example, the link between folic acid. Folic acid is synthetic. It's made from petroleum. It's not the same as folate. It doesn't biologically act like the folate you get in green vegetables and beans. It has different biological effects. Okay, it's different stuff. Uh, different stuff. And people are taking this cheap folic acid in their multivitamins, and the studies show that it has tremendous power to increase your risk of developing prostate cancer and breast cancer. And people have fortified food fortified with folic acid. And if we never invented that crap... Why did... We, why, why, that's the right yeah, word, by the way, but yeah. why, do we, why do we put it in there? Because doctors don't want to tell people with high blood pressure they have to eat right. They want to give them a pill. They don't want to tell people that to prevent birth defects and prevent, we, have to, we want to have people eat enough green vegetables and beans. We don't want to interfere like that. Instead, we think of a pill. The folic acid is for spina bifida? What's that? Yeah, that's right. Is that um, neural tube defects in, in, um, in the prenatals, you know, in the first 12 weeks of pregnancy. If the woman is deficient in folate in the first 12 weeks of pregnancy, it increases the risk of developing neural tube defects in the children. So instead of giving people, telling people you have to eat green vegetables before you even get pregnant, because the lack of green vegetables in the diet, prior to conception even, would increase the risk of childhood cancer and neural tube defects. But instead, we default to giving a pill solution, which is giving folic acid to, prevent, to lower the risk of neural tube defects. But then it leaves us exposed for childhood cancers because the women still not eating green vegetables. In other words, the pill enabled people not to take the diet seriously now and to get those nutrients from their diet. So the pill just has, how should I say, um, you know, it has a fallout effect. You help one thing and you cause another problem, right? And now we have more breast cancer from all the use of we folic acid. We do have, you know, I have mm. said this for 40 years. Mm. When I was in medical school, yeah. you saw breast cancer once. Now it seems like every third lady, every fifth lady has breast cancer. Right. It's got, I, and I've said this independent of knowing you were ever going to be an aspen. Yeah. There's got to be something in the food supply, in the water, in something that's causing this increase in breast cancer. You know, that's a, exactly the point, is that breast cancer didn't ex exist in early humans. We have 400 preserved mummies that we analyzed, and there was no breast cancer in early times. We can't find any preserved humans that we have data on breast cancer. It wasn't even mentioned in the medical literature to the 18th century. Even childhood cancer didn't even occur years ago. In other words, the first case of cancer reported in the medical literature was scrotal cancer in chimney sweeps in the 17th century. The point is, is yes, you're 100% correct. These are modern diseases that, that are not the result of, they're not predominantly genetic, and we have enough information to avoid them. For example, there are populations around the world today, even today, that have three women per 100,000 with breast cancer incidence, and in this country, was 120 per 100. We have 50 times the rate of breast cancer in this country. 50 con times. 50 times compared to and other countries. And we don't think it's genetic. We think we it's environmental. It's mostly diet and environment. That's correct. So the point I'm making is that we know what causes breast cancer, we can give women the opportunity not to get breast cancer. And that's one of the, actually, if we bring that up quickly, is one of the things that we're doing is we have a new study we've just kicked off that's a breast cancer prevention study using G-bombs. You know what I mean? So we, with women, and we, so we're giving women the opportunity, if they want, not Green to have breast cancer. vegetables, seeds. Seeds. Right. I could, like, for example, there was a study just on recently. We had women who had breast cancer. They already have a diagnosis of breast cancer. They followed them for 10 years. Now, those that ate lignans from seeds every day 
had a 71% decreased mortality from breast cancer. These were women who already had seeds breast cancer. Seeds are good, right? I seeds know that. Seeds are magic. Nuts are good too, right? Yes, nuts or seeds are good, but seeds are magic. Magic. Like, give me an example of a seed. Like, like, like a flaxseed. If you have a if you have a tablespoon of flaxseed a day, it lowers blood pressure by 10 millimeters mercury. Two tablespoons a day lowers blood pressure by 15 millimeters. That's more than drugs do. That's from flax seeds, and it reduces breast cancer and prostate well, I cancer I had this effects. discussion with my daughter, who's staying yeah. here with us, and yeah. I said, I'm coming down, I'm gonna interview a nutrition expert, mm -hmm. and I, we talked about healthy eating, and mm -hmm. she said to me, but ask him when you get there, I mean, is it really practical? Are people going to be eating wheat germ and flaxseed oil? And it's like, she just wants to go directly to Burger King without pass and go. You know, you and know, the but kids it, want to go to McDonald's. Absolutely. So let's put this in a practical perspective. Right. You look like you're super fit and young and mm. vibrant, and you could probably do it. Some people right. can do I'm it. I'm in my 60s. I do moguls all day long. I play singles. I'm just, I'm just as good physically as I were in my 20s, and I enjoy living life and enjoying life. I love Aspen. I love sports and being physically vibrant in our later years, and this is what people in Aspen stand for. This is a population. This is people, mind, yeah. body, and spirit. So this, this is, is the right place. We want to be young. You know, we got yeah. Klaus Obermeier out skiing at 95. Right. Exactly. And he only skis by himself because everybody else slows him down, you know? <laughs> right, right, so, right. <laughs> I'm not making yeah. that up. Yeah, I know. So, so let's talk about the practicality. What... First of all, what are you recommending? Give us, a, and then tell us how people are going to be able to stick to this healthy concept without hitting the hot fudge Sunday bar. Absolutely. Which is where I'd be. And you know what? Junk food is addicting, and change is difficult. No question about it. But one thing, and I did a study on this, by the way, and I published it in Nutrition Journal over over 700 people, that six months later, they enjoyed eating this way better than their old diet. 760 people, I tested them out. That's fascinating. But that took months to achieve that. There's a learning curve, there's retraining the taste buds. But in any case, all these people I'm mentioning that lost 100 pounds, lost 200 pounds, got rid of their heart disease, they feared, they had the same feeling when they first started out. But we showed them that a nutritarian diet tastes phenomenally delicious. And you're actually, taste buds get stronger. And you can marry together that sensation of having great taste and great health at the same time. Matter of fact, I just mentioned this, is that I'll give a plug for it is that Aspen, Colorado is the only place in, the, in America where you have a nutritarian restaurant right here in town, full time. A restaurant that gears to people who want to be healthy is a successful restaurant, Pyramid Bistro, run by right. Chef Martin. And does a beautiful job there. Right, and so he's a nutritarian. He, his, um, how should I say, he was motivated by reading my books. He has the Eat to Live cookbook right there in his restaurant. And he makes, show people that this tastes fantastic. Delicious desserts, you're not giving up pleasure in life. You know, but you're, you know what, it's funny because when you're eating a delicious ice cream made with like coconut and walnut and frozen banana and a date and cocoa powder or vanilla, whatever it is, you're enjoying it more than the conventional version because you like, the conventional version is like too sweet now and you can taste the bleach in it and it like has an aftertaste. You know, we even like our food better than that stuff now at this point. But so I'm saying that we've got to change what we think about this. You know, I know giving up smoking is hard and co giving up cocaine is hard and giving up sugar in commercially baked goods and junk food is difficult but it's worth the effort involved because the outcome and the reward you get back is so tremendous here. 
You know what I mean? And, and if people knew about this, not everybody, I'm not saying everybody's going to do this, but many more people would do this if they knew the facts. That's the point. So tell me now, what's the worst food? Name two or three foods Donuts. that's the worst crap we eat. Donuts. Donuts are Most bad. dangerous food mo and the most heart attack cancer-causing food on the planet. Donuts. Right. Unquestionably. I and drinking Donuts are doing our Krispy Kreme stock yeah, is yeah. down. I know Absolutely. that. Absolutely. And drinking that's the so worst. And, and number two is drinking soda. Oh, thank God you put in that so soda So soda and donuts. If you do that, you're crazy. You've got to be in, then you're the, it's the same as snorting cocaine. You know, if you're going to do that, you're just committing suicide with food. Let's talk about the artificial sweeteners because they've been around for a long time. I'm, I personally think sugar is probably less dangerous than artificial sweeteners because that artificial stuff, I don't know what it causes. Yeah, but you know, you don't buy a car by comparing it to a junkyard wreck. If both are dangerous, what's the difference which is worse? You shouldn't, they're both about equally dangerous, by the way. But if one was worse than the other, it wouldn't matter. They're both really they're dangerous. They're both foods. bad. They're both really harmful. They're both going to cause cancer. There was a recent you know. study that just came out in the last few, in a week or two ago, about one of Splenda causes a certain type of cancer, uh, increased uh, your incidence of cancer, which is not a surprise to me. I've just always been afraid of those artificial sweeteners. And they perpetuate your desire and addiction to sugar. It's Explain that, because I've heard that theory. Yes, because whether you're eating sweeteners that are high in calories or low in calories, or have no calories, it's still stimulating the nerves with an excess amount of sweet. And that nerve stimulation goes to the brain and secretes dopamine and makes you want to have sweets again and have more sweets. And these people then want to eat something else that's sweet. So even though so, it's, it's no calories in that that's artificial sweetener, your brain misinterprets it as that sweet dopamine-releasing good stuff, and then you want more good stuff. Correct. Which is actually bad stuff. That's right. The more that high glycemic junk you eat, the more high glycemic junk you want. And then people don't feel well, because don't forget addictions have two, are two parts. Right? They have the part that makes you feel really good with that stimulation when you have it. And then if you don't have it, you start to feel really bad. Then you feel anxiety and fatigue and weakness by not having your sugar fix. Is the incidence yeah. of diabetes raised by diet, by poor diet? Oh, yeah. That's, of course, like, like everybody knows that heart disease and diabetes and obesity are dietary-induced diseases. But it's more recently accepted now that breast cancer is a dietary-induced disease, too, that prostate cancer is a dietary-induced disease. Do the, do the experts in breast cancer, I mean, uh, mm -hmm. are the researchers beginning to look for these, whatever the triggers are? That's right. We're getting more and more evidence where now today we can say the evidence is overwhelming and we have to act on this evidence because not to do so well, at this point What do they think? It's Tell me what the, well, folate, you said may, folic acid may be a... Uh, what are the other nutritional triggers to breast cancer? That's a really good question. Um, basically, it's a combination of two things. It's foods that promote excess insulin and insulin in the body. Insulin. insulin. Excess insulin promotes breast cancer. What would be an example of that? A food that promotes insulin. Sweets? Sweets, white bread, white rice. You know. mm. and so Wonder it, bread's not good. Yeah, it, Wonder bread. It doesn't promote strong bodies 12 ways. The whiter the like bread, the sooner learned. you're dead. <laughs> the whiter the, the bread, the sooner, the sooner you're, you're dead. dead. Right, okay. And the more you eat green, the more you get lean. Well, there you go. Okay. So, and you put that in combination with animal proteins, high biological proteins, like cheese, egg whites, meat. So this white bread, this hamburger sandwich, this macaroni and cheese, the turkey, when you mix meat and, and carbohydrate carpets together, the animal protein raises IGF-1, which promotes um, cellular replication. And the insulin, the white flour, raises insulin. And that combination is a deadly combination. The combination of insulin and IGF-1 promotes, promotes tumors to grow in your body. Now, so, are you, are you a, a vegetarian? Are you a vegan? 
Do you eat meat? Tell us what you do for yourself. Right. I'm a nutritarian. Which I, yeah, you got to Now, the American diet is 54% of calories from processed foods and 30% of calories from animal products. In that 20 to 30% range of animal products, we see both heart attacks and cancers flourish. As you get to the 10 to 15% range, you're in a preventative range, and societies eating those level of animal products don't see many heart attacks. When you're in the 5 to 10% range, you virtually see heart attacks in populations disappear, and 5% or below could be reversal. So I'm not a strict vegan, but I watch the amount of animal products I eat, so I eat very tiny amounts, as, you know, rare, very small amounts. My diet is at least 95% produce, but I want you to remember that the American diet is only about 5% produce. Right. If I could get people to 80% produce, we'd, we'd revolutionize healthcare in America. They're trying. Yeah. I mean, even places like McDonald's who are trying to you know, offer salads and healthier options. Yeah. I mean, we're evolving. It's so slow because they found out that the people walk in, they want to gravitate to the Big Mac right away. Yeah, they want to gravitate to the addicting, harmful food. So that's what we're talking about. You know, <laughs> it's a metaphor <laughs> for life here, Joel. You know, but people are so misinformed. There's even this big thing going around to think that now oil is good. Like saturated fat's not bad anymore. And that saturated is to give us what's in saturated fat. What? Well, saturated fat is like in cheese and meats. You have saturated that's fat. That's okay. No, that's that's not okay. Not okay. I'm saying a lot of people telling people yes. this thing's what they want to hear. Right. They're not telling them that they're not. They're by, They're giving people, how should I say, biased information that's industry sponsored because the people don't like their sale. They're not selling their commercially baked goods and their meats as much as they used to. So in other words, we have a tremendous, um, how should we say, effort for people to um, confuse the data from the scientific literature and get people so confused they don't know what to do and they don't do anything anymore. Well, I remember in, mm. in cigarettes for a long time, the tobacco companies were right. sort of contradicting the studies that had overwhelming, you know, p-values showing that if you smoked, you got lung cancer, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, and right. everything else. But they were always presenting the other side. Right. And I think it's fair to say there are tremendous financial... You know, when Eisenhower warned us in the 50s to beware of the military-industrial complex, yeah. we have the food-industrial complex here. Absolutely. And the pharmacologic. Billions of dollars. Especially billions right. of dollars on things that are basically homeopathic. They don't make you better, but they're very expensive for what you get. Right. There are billions of dollars being spent to confuse the public because these, these um, economic interests or can be hurt by this information. Now, you know I have a television show on PBS, and my show is attempts to change the way people eat across America. But commercial stations, because they're sponsored by their commercial sponsors, wouldn't even want this information to be widely known because their sponsors wouldn't let them happen, wouldn't let it happen. You know what I mean? So there's billions of dollars being spent billions to, dis to disavow this information. But, so, so go ahead. But anyway, um, but I'm so, what's the word, thrilled, I'm so excited. I traveled around the country, but I'm here in Aspen. I'm here with 50 fellow Nutritarians, skiing every day. There are 50 Nutritarians in the world? <laughs> I would have thought there would have been a half a dozen. There are millions, and I've sold millions, you know, I've sold millions of books. We have, millions of, we have a, a growing army of people that are more interested in health and a growing army of physicians that are treating people this way. So it's the fastest growing specialty in medicine today, is today. So we, and we have 
you know, physicians who are proving this with scientific studies that are documenting these benefits. So we have the information, we have the medical support, we have the doctors doing it. What I'm saying is that I put on a nutritarian ski trip, come to Aspen with Dr. Furman, let's all eat healthy for the week and ski every day. And I got 50 people, and we got people jumping on board. And, and now where there's hundreds of people coming to the lecture Saturday night to learn about more details about this information and so they can understand that the, you know what I'm saying is that the, the details of the information sets you free. When you know, when you know enough, it's so motivating to have people want to change. And, my, and my, my point is that you'd be amazed at how many people will be adapting and do adapt this healthy way of living once they know the facts. How interventional, I want to choose that word carefully, yeah. how interventional should we be as a society in redirecting people to healthy eating? Clearly, there's a tremendous financial, psychological, family cost to illness derived from any source. But in this example, and it just came to my head, we give out billions of dollars in food stamps. Should food stamps pay for donuts, in your opinion? Of course not. You know, I'm also making another radical claim here. I'm saying that the poor food in the inner city leads to... And they do have a poorer diet. That's been right. well poor documented. Diet, well documented, more obesity, more breast cancer, more heart attacks, more prostate cancer. You know, more diabetes. More, more diabetes, for sure. Hypertension. Uh, it's, um, it's, a, it's an epidemic. It's, in, it's terrible. And they're not told, and we have food deserts where people can't get healthy food. And we don't recognize that the improper diet causes lack of intellectual development, lack of performance, lack of concentration. We're not told that a poor diet can lead people to become depressed. And there's a link between the consumption of commercial baked goods with depression. And we're not told that their performance, that it keeps people in poverty. It's horrible what's happening because they, people can't get out of poverty and it increases criminality as well and aggressive behavior when you eat poorly. So what I'm saying is it's a vicious cycle that we can't advance the American dream because of poor nutrition. And this should be, so I'm absolutely in 100% agreement with you. Have you spoken with any politicians about this to try mm -hmm. to, to, to re-engineer the way we think as a society about healthy eating and trying to promote the potential benefits to society, not just the individuals, by, by promoting a healthy, and that it just dawned on me that that's one way we could do it, is just yeah. not pay for white bread when you could get some other kind of whole grain, yeah. whatever. You're, you're, right on the, you're right on the point there. And that's right, we work in, certain, we work in fields where we do, do things by multiple spokes of the wheel. We help people individually, you know, help the, the political process, do whatever you can, educate people, give people media exposure, you know, re do, raise money to, to pay for more research studies, get more doctors in grossness. And you know what, here in Aspen? You have primary care physicians right here in Aspen that they themselves are nutritarians. They're eating this way, they advocate in their practice. What I'm saying right here is that you have this opportunity in asthma, in, in asthma, you have this opportunity here in Aspen to be one of the healthiest communities in the United States. We already be, are, by the way. We, don't, we yeah. don't allow fat people in Aspen. I don't know if you <laughs> noticed, but when you come through the roundabout coming in, yeah. it's literally, if you see an overweight person in Aspen, there's about a 99% chance that they're a tourist because yeah. the locals Leave are your so donuts fitness. behind. Leave, Leave your donuts behind before you a, enter the city. We before can you enter have the, a, right, a, yeah, free we, pot, no donuts. donuts right, exactly. <laughs> you, we have a, they come through a screening instead of metal detector. We have a donut no. and, and soft drink detector we, before you can enter the city. We That's could get on CNN with this, I'm sure. <laughs> Is there one candidate politically that you think would be more tuned in to mm -hmm. being receptive 
to this dietary approach to trying to help dis decrease disease? It seems like you know, there are I, I, might be the guy. Yeah, I've been in Washington know. speaking to candidates that were into this a little bit more, and they've told me they're following my program, but I, I don't really don't remember right now their names. Yeah, but, but there know. are yeah. politicians who are tuned in. Yeah, there are some that are tuned in. Now, you were a figure skater at one point, huh? Right. That's you used right. to come here to train in Aspen? Absolutely. I was third in the world in pairs figure skating with wow. my sister in the 19, early 1970s. And when the Do you know June A. Kirk, who lives here in Aspen? She was a, I think she was the Olympic tryouts at least, but she lives yeah. here. Yeah, I'm not sure. But I was here in the early 1970s training for the, um, for the National Triads in Colorado Springs. And um, I spent six weeks here then. Um, skated here and I, you know. So yeah, I spent a lot of time in Aspen. And I traveled around the world, figure, you know, I'll be as a figure skater. Um, and of course, stamina and endurance was everything back then. So, you had a, so we trained at altitude to get that. Yeah. You know, like other, and, and I've been an advisor to world and Olympic athletes for years after that, too. I even have, um, like, for example, Eric Schlappi from Park City. He was a four-time Olympian. And I have these athletes you, making shakes, you know, out of um, kale and flax seeds and, and wild blueberries. And, you know, and they're drinking their shakes. You know why? Not just to improve their performance. I'm improving their immune system so they don't get sick. So they can keep training and not get a viral infection to, that could interfere with their continued progress through the winter months and missing events. And, you know, so. But if someone isn't eating all the nutritarian stuff, the, the, uh, mm. the seeds and nuts and the beans and the greens and, and all the stuff, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The trouble with that Mexican food, we know yeah. what happens. So That goes away, by the way, when you get used to eating on a regular basis. Stop it? producing so yeah. much gas. Mm -hmm. you know? So if someone isn't taking that, should they take a vitamin supplement or it's not, or they? Uh, you can't supplement to replace what you're missing in the food. The supplement can be supplemental to a healthy diet, mm -hmm. and the things that your diet may be low in, we could help maximize, perfect it, by adding a little extra vitamin D, so the blood level's between 20 and 50, which is usually between 1,000 and 2,000 IUs a day. So we can add the extra vitamin D, we could add extra zinc. K2 is not normally found in the diet that, that helps your bones and prevent um, weakening of calcifications as you age would be good to supplement with. Iodine, if you're not having salt, which we're not recommending. So there are some things, DHA would, might be a beneficial supplement. So there are certain things that are beneficial supplemental-wise, but there are a lot of things that are dangerous to supplement with that people are taking every day. Vitamin E, beta-carotene. Why is vitamin acid. E there? It's a, it's a very powerful antioxidant. Yeah, but, but why is and vitamin, it dangerous? By the way, vitamin A2 is very dangerous. Mm -hmm. Acetyl and retinopalmitate. Because there's, in natural foods, when you eat nuts and seeds, you get exposed to a whole, to many different vitamin E fragments that have different characters and properties, and they work together. When you take a supplement with only one of those fragments, it actually interferes with the absorption of the other fragments. It's overdosing on one fragment mm -hmm. and not getting the full balanced spectrum of vitamin E that's present in green vegetables and nuts and seeds. So we want that full natural um, spectrum of vitamin E. And when you eat nuts and seeds, they bind fat in the stool. And they make you have more stool fat. They pull fat into the toilet bowl. Now, when they pull fat into the toilet bowl, they don't carry the fat that was in the nuts and seeds. They actually, there's a circulation between the, between the bloodstream and the digestive tract, so fat flows in both directions. So saturated fat and cholesterol flow into the digestive tract, and nuts and seeds then pull it out and put those fats into your toilet. So you lose cholesterol and bad fats from your bloodstream when you eat those fat-containing nuts and seeds because they have those binders, like the sponge that pick up those bad fats. Fascinating. You know, it's interesting because mm. years ago, back in the mm. 60s, my wife had a roommate who was mm. way ahead of her time nutritionally, and she was a, she was a vegan, mm. and she just ate the most perfect diet, and she looked perfect, she acted perfect. Yeah. And one day, she woke up, and she was out in San Francisco, and she just had this craving 
for a steak. She had a craving. It just like came on her. And so she went into a steak restaurant, and she walked up to the maitre d', and he said, can I help you? And she said, I'm a vegetarian. And he said, I understand. Come with me. Sat her down, gave her this big steak. She ate it. She never wanted one again. She just needed it that day. Yeah. You never have that, huh? No, because, you know, this isn't a religion. You can have, you know, if you smoked cigarette once a month, it wouldn't kill you to have one a month. But the point is, is that... But you, know, you wouldn't. That's you wouldn't. But, but if you wanted some animal products in your diet, they can be used properly as a flavoring what about in small chicken? amounts. Chicken and fish. Let's well, talk chicken about and fish, fish have half the calories of red meat. So if I'm saying that if you're, if you're, you're a certain ounce limit per week, we want people to not go over those amount of ounces because it raises certain hormones if you eat too much animal protein. But if you switch to the lighter, the lighter caloric dense meats, they're half the calories. You can eat a few more ounces. Your red meat limit would be lower. You'd have a little more limitation if you ate the whiter meats because they're less, they're not going to have as much of that. Talk about caloric restriction. Talk about how many, uh, historically, uh, number of calories in your diet has sort of been determined, but they found out right. scientifically that restriction of calories actually lives to greater longevity, doesn't it? That's correct. And talk a little bit about that. And the thing I'm especially interested in, my sister, who's an RN and very sophisticated about nutrition, She's always eating the healthiest fresh fruit salad, and yeah. just, but she eats too much of it. Yeah. <laughs> so how much, uh, which, is it better to be, and here's my question, sure. is it better to be, to eat all the healthy, good foods and nuts and seeds and beans, but be overweight, or is it better to, like, not eat too much of that stuff and keep your weight down? Okay, so that's a really important question, because... This is the whole point, is that the stomach only holds a liter of food. And you, when you eat enough volume of high-nutrient foods, it prevents you from wanting to overeat. Because what I'm saying here, that the first step to getting rid of food addictions and sugar cravings and desire to overeat is to flood your body with nutrients. Because people overeat. Is it the nutrients or the volume? It's both. It's both the volume, the fiber, and the micronutrient content that reduces people's desire to eat excessive calories. If you want to eat less calories and stay with that for the rest of your life. The only way to do it is to eat a diet rich in micronutrients and fiber, because if you don't, you'll be yo-yoing your weight, jumping on and off diets the rest of your life, always fighting with the cravings and the desire to overeat food. So what we're talking about here is, by, is not people dieting, losing weight, and getting it back again, but getting to a favorable weight and staying there for the rest of your life. And if someone and the, were a nutritarian, yes. and, and they followed this sort of dietary intake, it would be more likely that they'd have a stable. That's right. You take away the person's food cravings, and they'd act. They've no longer. It would be too difficult to overeat. It's very hard to fit those calories into your stomach when you're eating all the right stuff you're supposed to be eating. But the main thing I'm adding to that is, of course, the fact that the micronutrients help the brain redo those nerve pathways that make you want to crave those that junk food. You want to get off the craving for junk food and the feeling of lousy feeling of fatigue and feeling of anxiety and shakes when you don't eat the junk food then you gotta flood your body with nutrients to get rid of your addiction. Addictions are the stepchild of nutritional deficiencies. So, so when you say addictions, you're talking about the junk food addictions. What are the things that give sugar people addiction, the high? Sugar addiction, alcohol addiction, drug addiction. You know, we're talking about addictions that are also fueled by poor nutrition. Because now the person doesn't feel well unless they're feeding their addictions. So oh, that's an interesting. If you're not going to, if you're going to feel fatigued and wiped out, and you need your, if you need your sugar fix to feel okay, yeah, then, you have, then the person's going to keep feeling. They're going to feel lousy when they stop eating. They have to overeat and keep their sugar levels high to feel energized. The kids mm -hmm. yesterday ate some 
cookies and candy and whatever. Mm -hmm. And then they were behaving sort of a little bit crazy. Yeah. But And so everybody said, oh, it's because of the sugar. Is that actually documented or not? I mean... It is documented, not the, you know, it is documented that kids who have more processed foods and high glycemic carbohydrates have less concentration in school, more likely to develop, um, you know, hyperactivity. Hyperactivity, yeah. 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 What about diseases like ADD? We're seeing it's diagnosed all the time. Is that thought yeah. to be nutritionally related or not? Yeah, yeah, it is. But, you know, don't forget that um, nutrition is very complicated because the health of your child in the young age isn't just affected by what they eat. It's affected by what the mother ate. And it's affected by what the mother ate not only when she was pregnant, but also their health is affected by what the mother ate before she even got pregnant. We're finding out that the child's behavior, risk of cancer, risk of infection, right, and ability to, to be healthy, like develop an autoimmune condition or an allergy, is affected by the mother's diet even before the mother got pregnant which is really fascinating. Here. Yeah, that yeah. really is. So, well, yes, I'm it's diet, but it's not just by, by what the kid, kid ate, you know. Well, this is, you've been a fascinating mm. guest, obviously extremely well-versed in your specialty. Uh, mm. Dr. Furman will be talking uh, 7.30 at the Pepke this Saturday night, April 2nd, and you can get a ticket at nutritionalresearch.org. Um, and uh, I've enjoyed having you on the show. I learned a lot. My pleasure, Jerry. And I uh, hope you. that you all learned a lot out there in our viewing land. We will see you next week. If you see Dr. Furman in town, please say hello. This podcast was brought to you by the Grassroots Community Network. Check out more of your favorite programs, browse our video on demand, and subscribe to our social media channels at www.grassrootstv.org.